0: Hello, and welcome to Special Issue, where we talk about all things scholarly and society publishing. I'm Anna Ayler. This month, we're bringing you a keynote from the 2019 Wiley Editor Symposium in London, an event we host for our journal editors, and where, among other things, we try to put some of the bigger trends in scholarly communication into context for the day-to-day work of being an editor. Open access is obviously a big topic in scholarly publishing right now. But we often hear about open access from funders or publishers or researchers who are big open science advocates. What about librarians? They have a big stake in all of this, too. So today we're going to hear a librarian's perspective. And not just any librarian. Colleen Campbell is responsible for partner development at the Open Access 2020 Initiative and she spoke about Wiley's transformational open access agreement in Germany with Project DEAL in the context of a larger transition towards open access in scholarly communication.
1: Here's Colleen. I um, work within the Max Planck Digital Library. You might know the Max Planck Society, which is one of the largest research organizations in the world. We employ something like 14,000 scientists and scholars and you know, who publish around 12,000 scholarly articles a year. So um, the Max Planck Society is heavily invested in the advancement of science, and have viewed um, the open the concept of open access as an essential um, tool to improve science. And this is why they have. Um, invested in coordinating the Open Access 2020 initiative on behalf of research institutions everywhere, okay? Scholarly publishing in transition. That's where we are right now, in the the absolute midst of an enormous transition. How we get to um, the space where we are now, to an open future, that is of course a complicated process. And I'm going to offer you the perspective of research performing organizations, specifically thinking about libraries. Because when I talk about scholarly communication, of course, you have authors and you have readers. And as libraries, we are trying to serve the needs of both of those, just like you are with your journals. So talking about open access, I don't know how many of you are actually interested in the concept. I mean, if you are, okay, good. (laughs) some of you are. Of course, you are scientists and you want to do science and, and uh, do your research and make that better. Um, but open access, at least from the perspective of a librarian, is merely a business model, right? It, it, it's, it, it's a business model. It's, it's how we support scholarly publishing or the, the dissemination of research results. Uh, the, the, the concept was really born from the digital transformation where all of a sudden we were no longer inhibited in sharing our results by you know the paper and the the, the mechanisms of dissemination um, getting our, our our papers out to the rest of the world through the post or however it was all of a sudden we had the digital medium and so the question arises why not use that digital medium to make science better and yet um Even after almost decades now that we have been trying to leverage our digital technologies, we are not there. We are simply not there. When you think of every other industry right now in the world, look at your telephone. We're not there. And it's just shocking to us as librarians that we have not been able to successfully make that transition. 82% of new research articles are published behind a paywall. And uh, this is after, truly, decades of effort. So this is what has motivated us to begin the Open Access 2020 initiative. Uh, This is the same research, this is the same data that has motivated the funders of Coalition S to write the principles of Plan S. We've been working at creating an open information environment for too long now, and it's time to start and time to attempt something new, a new strategy. Because progress has been slow. Why has our progress been so slow? I would posit that it's, um, a lot of it is because of the tension that there is among the different stakeholders in scholarly communication. There are the funders, of course. There are scholars and scientists, you are among that community, publishers, the research performing organizations, um, such as my own, and the libraries. And we all have different um, objectives. We all have a different role in this transition. When we talk about open access, the majority of open access strategies to date have actually been centered on asking researchers to change their behavior. We have asked them to deposit their manuscripts in repositories. Um, We are, we are asking them to publish their journals, uh, excuse me, publish their articles in new open access journals. We've sort of been trying to force them in one direction and another, but in a way we've kind of left this big elephant in the room, which is in fact the subscription system itself, the scholarly journals that are now published behind paywalls. So Open Access 2020, my initiative, is one that is is merely a strategy um, to address the subscription system head on, if you will. Authors want their journals, right? Journals, your journals are, uh, represent the community of a specific discipline. This is just a a few quotes from a, a piece of research done by Ithaca SNDR I don't know if you know about Ithaca SNDR they are based in New York they are part of the organization Ithaca that also um, has uh, create, has produced produces the archive JSTOR if you've ever heard of JSTOR um, and they every 3 years survey US faculty on you know their 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 perspectives on scholarly publishing and the interesting thing is, you know, authors don't want to be bothered by the thought of open access or not open access or publishers. They merely want to publish their journals. So if their subscription journal becomes open access, fine with them. It doesn't matter who the publisher is. All I want is my journal. But I think another tension that we have to very uh, clearly come to terms with is the tension of, well, the expectation of our scholars, you know, our students and scholars today. Do you know Sci-Hub? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, Sci-Hub released um, the the log files so that we could, so that the community could analyze where were the users coming from? Those users that went to Sci-Hub for access to a journal, where did they come from? And one of the, the most fascinating uh, things that we learned from this was the fact that a huge proportion of the usage came from institutions that actually already had access to that same content. So I mentioned JSTOR before. I'm going to call out names. I, when I was, I was working at JSTOR, we did this analysis. One of the largest users of JSTOR content from SciHub was actually UCL in London, and they have everything. I mean, they had everything. So, what did that tell us as librarians? It told us that the system that we are supporting is not meeting the expectations of our users. Users want to get to the content. They don't want to have to click through platforms here and there. The expectation is that they can get it at any time. Another Tension, if you will, or or or, or piece of um, a, a change in scholarly communication that is affecting us and make, complicating our lives in a certain way, is um, the 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 rise of mega journals. This this is a listing of the largest journals in in the world right now. This data is actually I would say a year and a half old. So even though you see PLOS ONE at the top, I think scientific reports has actually surpassed it. So this is, to me, this is a message that open access publishing has taken hold, and here we're talking for the most part new open access journals have taken hold. They are, our authors are going to publish there, right? Something that we need to contend with, both I think as publishers and as our editors and as libraries, because where I sit as a librarian, if my authors are going to publish in PLOS One, I actually don't know anything about that. They do that on their own, right? They, they go to the, 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 uh, the, the journal and they submit and they pay the APC. But I, as a librarian, I feel like I have the mandate to um, use the funds entrusted in me by my institution um, I- to the best of my ability and to, to yeah, do the best interest for my institution. And so, if there is a relationship happening between our, you know, our uh, faculty and a publisher, I would like to know about that. I want to manage that relationship and make it better. So how can we reconcile all of these tensions at play and get everyone on board for the open access transition? Um, When we thought about it, Um, and here when I say we I mean the the institutions part of OA 2020, we said we've got to do something about those journals that are subscription journals. But at the same time you know we also have to understand um, that there was this phenomenon of hybrid publishing which I mean if you if you didn't hear it before the concept is there is a subscription journal But if you want to publish an open access, uh, if you want to publish an article, open access within that subscription journal, you pay an extra fee, an APC, and it's made openly available within this subscription journal. And that is called hybrid publishing because it's a little of both, right? Well, um, thanks to certain funder mandates, what that has actually meant for us as libraries is that we see this as a paying twice for the same thing. We call it double dipping in, in our world, because on one hand, the subscription prices have remained the same, even though, and, and then the open access publishing fees sort of come on top of that. So that's, yeah, we're, we're, we're at a point now where we would like to correct that. And, um, but how do we correct that? Because originally, publishers were saying to us that, okay, we can make this transition, but to make this transition, we need more money. Well, my colleagues at the the Max Planck Digital Library, they did a study a few years ago. They took the annual report of the STM Association and um, they began to analyze that data, comparing it to publishing information on Web of Science. And this is what we learned. We know that the subscription system, on a global scale, generates a revenue of 7.6 million euro a year. That's what libraries around the world pay to publishers to subscribe to journals. Billion, excuse me. 7.6 billion. We also know from Web of Science that every year some 2 million articles are published. So if we take that 7.6 billion euro divided by 20 million articles, 2 million articles, we come up with a cost of 3,800 euro per article to us institutions, merely for access. Okay, that's an, this this is average on a global scale. Those are my costs. However, we've seen open access growing around the world. We are able to understand the costs of open access publishing through, um, through open access journals that publish the price points of an APC on their journal websites, also hybrid. We have learned through tools such as Open APC. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's uh, an online tool where institutions upload the costs Data on the costs that their researchers have or the the payments their researchers have made to publish open access to sort of create a Data set to understand better the costs of scholarly publishing We know that on average The cost to publish open access is in fact less than 2,000 euro per article so if I take that average ABC. And that's actually a high estimate in in looking at the data. If I take that and I multiply that back by the two million articles, I come out with a total cost of four million, four billion euro. So what does this tell me? It tells me as a library that there is actually enough money in the system already to make that transition to open access. So this is the basis on which the Open Access 2020 initiative was founded. Just a few years ago, 2016, I believe, at the 13th Berlin Open Access Conference, the idea was, okay, if that's all it takes to, (laughs) if the money's already there, let's take that money that we spend on subscriptions every year and work with the publishers to use that money to publish open access instead of closed access. It's, in a way, it's a commitment that the libraries are willing to make with the publishers for a sustainable transition. We are willing to keep the money in the system, but our expectation is to get open access. Today, our initiative has over 140 signatories from, uh, yes, which represent 6,000 institutions from all across the world. And our founding statement, our expression of interest, in the large scale implementation of open access to scholarly journals basically expresses this concept that we want a large-scale transition of scholarly journals to open access and to enact that transition we will use our subscription funds and invest them in open access and at the 14th Berlin Open Access Conference uh, last December a panel an international panel of of OA 2020 supporters made their statement to the CEOs of the three largest commercial publishers and this is what it said that we and this was a I think we had 37 countries there and including funders, um, rectors conferences, researcher associations, we made this statement to the three largest commercial publishers clarifying that we, as a global research community, are committed to authors retaining their copyrights, we are committed to achieving complete and immediate open access, and we're committed to accelerating the process of transition through transformative agreements, which are temporary and transitional mechanisms that are cost-neutral with the expectation, of course, that things will change over time. And we have the expectation the publishers will work with us on this transition. The the, the fellow you see here in um, in the photo in front of the panel is actually, was at the time, the CEO of Elsevier, And shortly thereafter, he, in fact, was replaced by a new CEO. And if you can see the Elsevier and their perspective on the open access transition, you might understand why he was out of place. Guido, on the other hand, Wiley, I I can say right here, uh, and no one has paid me to say this, (laughs) we consider Wiley one of the good guys, because they have shown a commitment to open access very clearly. And I'll talk about that in a moment. So what are these transformative agreements? Transformative agreements are simply those agreements that institutions have with publishers that shift the the payment from paying for subscription access to paying for open access publishing. We had this groundbreaking transformative agreement with Wiley in Germany with Project Deal and our objectives with that agreement and here I'm speaking on behalf of Deal We wanted to increase the impact of German research which meant open access publishing. We wanted to ensure that German authors retain all of their exclusive rights and we wanted to ensure that they had the greatest opportunity to publish in the venue of their choice. Which means if we can give greater opportunities through transformative agreements, they have more choice. Right? We want them to publish open access. We don't want to force them to publish in a one specific open access journal or depositing here or there. We want to increase their open access publishing opportunities. The objective w- was fair and reasonable pricing and a future oriented business model because we are on the way to an open access world. And so the business model pricing models have to be forward looking. And of course, This is a giant step forward for the global open access transition. What impact have we achieved with this agreement? First of all, um, from the view of of the libraries, this is a fantastic transition because it was our previous subscription spend is now invested in open access publishing. And, uh, And this is done in a forward facing model as it's based on the articles published it's not based on one flat fee like we used to do in the subscription world. And that's, I mean, that's a bit of a risk, right? It's a risk for you because it means that your journals have to perform well. You have got to attract German authors now. At the same time, it's, it's a risk for us because if you are so good at your jobs, that means we are going to have to pay you more. Uh, because if you attract more authors and more German publications, we will pay for that, we ger- German institutions. So, But I think there's a great in this sense of partnership that we're sharing the risk of this transition. The obvious benefits to our researchers as authors is in fact um, unlimited open access publishing entitlements. They don't have to do a thing. They don't have to find the grant funds. They can keep their grant funds to buy lab equipment, to, you know, other staff. They, they don't have to invest their own funds to publish open access because it's their institutions subscription, former subscription budgets that are going to pay for the open access publishing. There is no cap as I said before, they, you know, it's completely open, they just do their work, submit where they like and everything takes care of itself and there's no administrative burden, it happens seamlessly for the author. But of course benefits for researchers as readers as well And this ultimately is, I I hope, also a benefit for you as editors, and that is we have massively expanded the access for German institutions to Wiley content. And extended not only in terms of what any individual institution can access, but also the number of institutions in Germany that now have access. So we view this as a huge win on all sides. And again, I would just like to say this was a... Um, Wiley really showed themselves to be, um, yes, they've showed a very clear commitment to the open access transition and this is a signal that has been absorbed throughout the world. These transformative agreements, uh, they are being adopted rapidly across institutions, countries around the world and also by publishers. We said before Springer Nature Elsevier, Taylor & Francis, Wiley, IOP, ACS, Cambridge, Walter de Gruyter, Emerald, IWA Publishing, Oxford, Sage, and more. So this is a strategy that is growing and being accepted in the publishing community. And not only the large publishers, but also self-publishing societies have now embraced transformative agreements as a method of transition. Um, uh, Recently, the Wellcome Trust funded um, a a study to create a toolkit for self-publishing society publishers, uh, (laughs) self-publishing societies to help them create agreements that are sustainable and beneficial for both the publisher and the library community and or institutions. But my final thought is that yes, the train has left the station, but the journey has just begun because these transformative agreements that we are are working on, they are transitional. They are just a a mode to get from where we are now, which is a world based on the subscription logic to a world where we can think about the open access logic or even beyond open access, open science, because we talk about open science, but open access is just one piece of that, right? I mean, right now we're just working out sort of the, the, the back-office aspects to open access. Once we get through that, those back-office operational aspects, then things can really take off and get interesting. That's when we really have to think about how to leverage our digital technologies for scholarly communication. But that's not going to happen until we free up our our subscription, you know, business mentality and our funding and put it into um, modes of open access publishing.
0: If you feel like you've been hearing about open access for a long time and perhaps hearing the same thing year after year, you're not alone and that's partly because of those tensions that Colleen laid out at the beginning. There are a lot of stakeholders in the scholarly communication system. And while we're all ultimately working to serve the needs of authors and of course researchers, it takes time to get everyone pointed in the same direction. That's happening now with the growing number of publishers entering transformational deals, like our agreement with Project Deal in Germany. And while the pace will still be too slow for some and too fast for others, the course is set. And as Colleen says, the fun part is just maybe, just beginning. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. For Wiley, I'm Anna Ayler, and you can find more episodes and learn when new episodes are released by subscribing in iTunes or wherever you like to listen. You can get more news and information on Society Publishing from Wiley on Twitter by following us at Wiley Societies and on our website, wiley.com slash network society leaders. Our theme music was produced by Medine, and this episode was edited by Dennis Velasco. Thanks for listening.